One, I, I think we need to tarnish their brand. I mean, they're doing it on their own, but I think people need to understand that the Democrats are in control. That's a, it's a one party state. And then two, it's just not enough for us to say no. We actually have to have policy solutions. Welcome back to Cabot Talks. This is Brian Cabotek, Mrs. Cabotek's favorite son, former president of the trial lawyers in California, president of the LA County Bar, and the representing the left side of the Cabotek family. And this is John Cabotek. Welcome back. I do get the hand-me-downs from Brian, but I am the California State Director of the National Federation of Independent Business, also the president of Cabotech Strategies, political strategy firm. I tend to lean a little more to the right. I think we are right on the issues, but it's good to have everybody here and our very special guest today, Senator Scott Wilk, Senate Republican leader, Scott Wilk. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, John. And I'm right smack in the middle between the two Cabotech brothers. And you're a lot taller than Brian, so at what point did you quit getting hand-me-downs? You know, I was gonna say that before you even brought it up. (laughs) They never fit. (laughs) They never did fit. But I could give them my clothes right now and they'd fit the 13-year-old John (laughs) Cabotech. I won't take a lot of time on the intro stuff. You have a very extensive resume, but Scott Wilk, first of all, a very good friend to both Brian and me. We're so thrilled to have you with us today, Senator. He has been, he's a product of the Antelope Valley, has been a, representing the 21st Senate District, which is Antelope, Santa Clarita, and Victor Valleys. He has served a wonderful, illustrious 15 years in the legislature, two terms in the assembly, has been in the Senate and And this past year, earlier this year was in 2021, was elected Senate Republican leader. He has been a champion of economic development, certainly disability rights, education, helping our communities to grow and be successful. A good friend to both of us. And I don't know where he stands on the hand-me-downs in terms of his siblings, but I might have some clothes for you, Scott. I'm the I'm the eldest child and the only only son. So, well, welcome. We're so glad to have you with us, and uh, great to have a little chat and some fun, and like three guys sitting around having a beer. And so, uh, anyway, uh, Brian, I'll turn it over to you, maybe for a little bit of the first chat. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the topic that I just can't get over, which is what is the Republican Party going to do in California? California is like no other place in the, in the country, right? I mean, you know, my own personal view is that people in California are not as far left as some of the legislature legislators are, some of your colleagues are, but it certainly tends to lean left. How do you get people interested in voting Republican? Actually, I think we're well positioned now. You know, if you look at, at, at the results in November 2020, we had a historic turnout. And the conventional wisdom is when, Repu- when it's high voter turnout, Republicans don't do well. We picked up four seats in Congress with Donald Trump at the top of the ticket. We picked up one in the assembly. We did lose two in the in the state Senate. And I don't think we should have lost those two. When if you look at the initiatives, seven out of the 11 initiatives that the California Republican Party endorsed, the voters agreed with. And they rejected the California Democratic Party position two two thirds of the time. So here's a here's a challenge as I see it, that the challenge and you kind of hit on it. The challenge is, I think our base voters, our base voters are maybe two steps to the right of the electorate. And, but what's interesting is the majority of the members of the majority party in Sacramento, I think, are four steps to the left of the electorate. So at some point, something has to give. You know, as your little brother said earlier, I, I think I think we're right on the issues. We What we have to do is a better job articulating them 
in talking to people outside of the building and talking to people who don't look like ourselves. Yeah, well, I think it. Come on, I, and I would. I would just. I would just say, Brian. You know, I mean, uh, certainly the Republican Party, as as Senator Wilk will say, you know, needs some areas for growth and improvement in California. He's helping to champion that. But I think one needs not look much further than to the East Coast, Virginia, New Jersey. There's got to be progressives quaking in their boots out here as well. Even as blue as California is, people are quaking and worried because there's a lot of folks who know that. The issues there are about the economy, the economy, the economy. First thing I'm going to point out to John is that this is not the East Coast. I'll explain it later, John. I'll get a map when we get home and I'll show you. But it's also that while I agree with Scott that California is not as as liberal as some of the people in Sacramento think it is, that's my working theory. It's just for whatever reason that R turns people off. And I don't know specifically why. Maybe it's the message. Maybe it's the national message. I'm not sure. Yeah, Brian, I think you're right. I know for me, so I was really frustrated in my race last year, you know, because of COVID. I actually ran my race. So this, this is my home office. I ran my race out of this office. There was no debates. There was no going out in the public. You know, I sat here for, you know, six months and did nothing but, you know, work the phones. But if you looked at my polling, and so my, let me go back. So my district, plus eight Democrat. Latino, 13.5% African-American, 5% Asian, and more than half of my constituents are on Medi-Cal. And I've now won that seat twice as a Republican. So there's a pathway for Republicans if they go out and do what they need to do. But you're you're right. So if you looked at my polling, the voters were with me on the issues. But I barely won. I mean, I, you know, I squeaked by is because I had an R. And you you also won because they, they knew you as a person. Well, you know, it's a million people. So, you know, I do work my district, but, you know, I don't I don't know how many people. You don't know all million of them? I do not. But I, my name ID is 71 percent, which is pretty good for, for a state senator. So we have to do two things from my perspective. One, I, I think we need to tarnish their brand. I mean, they're doing it on their own, but I think people need to understand that the Democrats are in control. That's a, it's a one party state. And then two, it's just not enough for us to say no. We actually have to have policy solutions. So uh, we've been working on that. I anticipate our caucus, we're going to have a caucus at the beginning of December. I anticipate us coming out with a full body platform and trying to take it to the Democrats on issues that actually the voters agree with us on. Too many of my colleagues want to litigate stuff they've already lost. It's like, you know, let it go. Let's go take it on stuff that we that we win on. And I'm hoping we do that. I mean, you know, senators are very independent minded. So I'm I'm going to lead it. I'm going to try to lead them to the water and hopefully they they drink. We look at what's going on. Just talking about, you know, kind of covid recovery here. Obviously, the, the elephant in the room. And I do say elephant, Brian, not donkey elephant in the room. But I would say that the issue right now in terms of recovery is obviously people would argue that never have we seen both sides of the political aisle more polarized. But in many ways, I know you've worked very hard to try and work both sides of the aisle and bring together. Where is there hope, Senator, for some fusion, for some recovery agreement as we look ahead even to next year with the left, with the right, with the governor? Where can we get some stuff done without as much bickering and and swords? Yeah, you know, so I, I think so. I think one of the challenges is that you know Governor Newsom had an opportunity to learn at the feet of, of Governor Brown for eight years, and he chose not to do it. You know, Jerry Brown wanted to work in a bipartisan way. He felt like bipartisan solutions were better, longer-lasting solutions. So you know, I was on the working group for the water bond. I was on the working group and principal co-author of the of the film tax credit. 
a number of times I got pulled into the governor's office because he was looking for he was looking for votes. And it, it was a much different environment. You know, this governor, I've told he I'm, I'm told he doesn't communicate even with his own party leadership as well. So, I mean, it really, it's up to him to set the tone. I'm happy. I mean, I, I've always, I came to Sacramento with the attitude, I want to try to get to yes, which, you know, it has served me well. I think it served the people of California well. It certainly served my district well. I mean, there's times where I've gotten bills passed, like, how do you, my, my Republican colleagues go, how do you do that? And I go, well, I don't poke people in the eye. You know, you don't see me on the John and Ken show, you know, seeking my seven minutes of fame. But it's the governor that sets the tone, and I, I think he he does not set a good tone. We get you on the Brian, John and Brian show. That gets yeah, you here. Exactly. Way 20 minutes right. of fame. Way With our eight way. listeners. <laughs> All eight listeners. All eight of them listening. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think Californians are – I think Californians tend to be socially liberal or progressive, whatever word you want to use. And I think they tend to be fiscally conservative. And I think that that's true for most people I know that are you know in my camp. Even my trial lawyer friends feel that way. You know, they're like, "Hey, listen, we want to, you know, be inclusive. We want people to feel that they have a place here, but we also want government to work, and we want business to work, and we want to be able to, you know, move forward." And and I don't know. It's a, it's a, it seems to me that getting away from labels and looking more on what people are going to do. Yeah, it's it's it. Something needs to happen here. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, you know, we we feel as a caucus, you know, that we're you know we're disenfranchised, and again, we're only nine out of forty. But, you know, that's that's a million people per. So that's nine million people. So that's the size of New Jersey. So that's like 16 electoral votes if we were our own state. And so I don't think you should be dis- completely dismissive of a population the size of New Jersey. And that's that's how the governor ha- has treated us. And, you know, I, I hope that tone changes. But I don't know. I actually had a I got a call, a, a call from Dr. Mark Galley today to update me on some stuff. And I really appreciate him in, in the tough position he's been in. And, you know, I, I complained to him too. I mean, I, I love you and I love a lot of the top cabinet level people. I think they're, they're good people and they work hard. And I, I mean, I think the tone's set by the governor and I, I really would like to see him change his tone and his attitude. How do you make that happen? Brian and I often talk about, often, sometimes, believe it or not, sometimes we get very frustrated with our own side of the political aisle. Sure. We do, and I'm sure you do. You know, and I guess that would kind of bring us to, you know, we, you know cannibalizing, where people kind of thwart progress. That's, that's, that's illegal, John. Oh, oh, that's true. I'm sorry. Cannibalism is illegal. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let, yeah. me say, let me take that back for the herbivores out there. But, you know, where we're looking at, you actually feel as the Senate Republican leader, as a leader of your own caucus, where you want to see more progress, where do you feel you get frustrated from within, from within the own, your own, the own troops, Republicans as a whole? Yeah, well, so, you know, it's funny. So, you know, when I come up here, people go, oh, you know, and I come back home, people go, oh, you must be really frustrated with the Democrats. And I go, no, they're doing exactly what I expect them to do. Where I've been frustrated, I'm talking about not just now, but over my nine-year history up in Sacramento, is people get up here and then they're just happy to be up here. And I've always viewed politics as a team sport. And so like in terms of being, a, when I came into the assembly before I raised my hand and took the oath of office, I had been the third largest contributor to the assembly Republican caucus, because I know we need resources to, to be able to compete. And I've always, I've always taken it as, you know, a, a team sport. A lot of my members don't, and, and a lot of members are lazy. You know, he's gone now, but you know, as someone like Matt Harper, from Orange County, very affluent district in Huntington Beach and, and areas down south. And I remember the June of his last election year, he had $1,200 in the bank. 
he should be raising money and giving it to other members. And then he wouldn't even raise money for himself. And, and he lost. And, you know, rightly so. He didn't deserve to pay. You know, I, I, you asked that question, John, a minute ago about what frustrates him. I can tell you what frustrates me with my party is that sometimes they go after issues that they know they can get past. You know, and I, I can think of a couple examples, notably this most recent one where it allows infill projects in neighborhoods without the local municipality having a say. And there are others that I could mention. And I look at them and I go, yeah, I know you can pass that. But is that the kind of thing that you pass and it pisses people off? That's the thing I think is, you know, you got good people out there who support you and suddenly you pass something that's going to radically change where they live. I, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand the, the the fact that they've got that power. You know, it's almost like stop or I'll shoot myself. Yeah, you know, that, that Brian, that's that's a that's a really good issue, because I was talking to a freshman before we were voting on that. And she was kind of conflicted. I go, well, what are you hearing back home? And she, they said, well, my constituents are opposed. And I said, always vote your district. These other, these special interests will, will come back to you uh, time and time again. You need to vote your district. She did not. And she certainly has paid a price since she got back home. And she, she's, she's told me anyway. And, you know, they're, they have a complete war on the, on the suburbs going, you know, going on in Sacramento in terms of policy. I live in the suburbs. I love the suburbs. It's not for everybody, and, and that's fine. That's why we have rural, and that's why we we have we have urban. But you know, and I'm a big believer of local control. So, you know, yeah, I and, agree. I, I, just, I don't get I don't get it either, and I I don't I don't think it was good policy, and I I don't think it's good politics at all. What do you want to work on this year? What do you see coming up in 2022? Which I can't believe we're at the time of recording this. We're less than two months away. Yeah. Well, you know, so you know, for me. I mean, I'm obviously I'm a Republican leader, so I'm all about trying to pick up seats so we can have some semblance of balance. You know, when I first got up there, there was 14 members. And again, I got called into Governor Brown's office a number of times for one-on-ones. And then we go down to 11. And of course, we had a new government a governor as well, never got called. And then we go down to nine. And then I don't even get a, like a little congratulatory note from the, from the governor. I did from other constitutional officers, but not from him, because at nine, we're not relevant. So for me, it's all about picking up seats. So we're going to do that through the redistricting process that we're going through right now. Obviously, you're trying to raise as much money as possible. I want to have a, a positive pu public policy agenda that I know is stuff we're not going to get passed, but we want to be able to show people that we are serious about improving their lives. And, and again, I think the turnout model, I've been talking to a lot of pollsters. I think the turnout model in 2022 is going to look a lot like 2014. And I'm hoping what happened in Virginia and New Jersey is a foreshadowing of that. So we may even be able to rent some seats for, for a term or two uh, because of that. I told my 30-year-old associate with my firm, you know, you can fit as many Republicans uh, in the legislature in a phone booth. The part that was the saddest of that is he looked at me and said, what's a phone booth? Yeah. I feel old. I feel old. But so, how about legislation, though? What are you looking at that you'd like to? So, 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 I'm not, I'm not finalized. Typically, when you're leader, you don't do, you don't do a lot of legislation because you know you've got all these other responsibilities. I'm taking a look at though some accountability measures, and particularly as it relates to to no bid contracts. You know, we have a situation here. We have a, a Massachusetts company that relocated is actually in my district, Perkin Elmer, and the governor went there with with all this fanfare talking about how they were going to be this hub for, for testing. And he gave him a no-bid contract, $1.4 billion to start. And if you look at the data on the website, they've been abject failures. They're being investigated now by both the feds and the state. And it had an auto renewal 
clause in it, and, and the governor just renewed it last last Sunday for one point seven billion dollars. So, I mean, I understand the need if if you're in an emergency pandemic, things like that, that we have to give the executive some some leeway in order to be able to to manage the state. But I mean, it, it's he's he's really I think taken advantage of the situation. And I think we need to have more safeguards in place to protect ta- taxpayer dollars. We all share the same common trait of having influential Armenian-American women in our lives. S- Scott, you married up. Uh, Vanessa, your wife, is amazing. There's been obviously Armenian politics lately, nationally, in terms of genocide. Let's talk a little Armenian talk for a few minutes. I mean, we're going to come down to food, of course, as well. But what are your thoughts? I mean, we're just maybe talking kind of on the global level first in terms of what was done in terms of recognizing the genocide, uh, kind of what happened with President Biden, was enough done? Was not enough done? I mean, you've actually been there. Yeah, as well. I mean, you know, so it's, it's it, you know, if you support Armenia, it's really fresh. It's really frustrating, right? Because where where they sit, so you know, they're 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 above Iran, and then you know they got Turkey, uh, Turkey to the west, uh, Azerbaijan to the east, you know, uh, Russia to the north. Yeah, and I've I've been there a couple times now, and Armenia would like to to be. They have like one foot step, one foot in the West, one in the East. They want they want to be with the West, right? Their democracy, free enterprise. We've made a lot of progress there internally in terms of being more democratic. It was really run by oligarchs for a long time, even when it was a democracy. But tremendous strides there. But they have to deal with the reality. So you know, Turkey's their enemy, as is Azerbaijan. But Turkey's you know part of NATO, strategic ally because of its proximity to Russia, and then Azerbaijan has oil reserves, which they give to Israel and in Western Europe. And we've not really gotten a fair, uh, you know, a fair shake. And but so I'm, I am appreciative of, of President Biden because all, all these guys run for president. And they say, I'm going to recognize the the Armenian genocide. Yeah. And and they never do. And, and to his credit, you know, President Biden did. Yeah, and I think I think it's important. I mean, I don't, I don't remember if you were there, but on the 100th anniversary, I went down to downtown L.A., Hollywood, and marched, and we were hoping to have 50,000 people come, and it was over 100,000. It was unlike anything I've ever participated in. And the pain with the lack of acknowledgement was just palpable in the air. I mean, it, it just it just, dra- it just drained me. I mean, I always moved that so many people were there, but it just drained me that this is still going on 100 years later. Well, a couple of comments about that. My, you know, our, our, for our other seven listeners, the eighth being our mother, our mother's Armenian. So- <laughs> We have a close affinity with this, and she's actually the child of survivors. So she's very close to it. You know, the young people out there today, you got to give them credit because they're three, three or more generations removed. But what I heard for years was if any president ever recognizes the genocide, Turkey will throw us out of the country. They will, you know, do terrible things. They will. And, you know, like a lot of things with Turkey, in my opinion, it, it was a lot of talk and no action. And that's exactly what happened here. You know, they, they threw their arms up in the air and they were very upset. And and within a few days, it kind of passed. And that's what I would have predicted happening anyways years ago. And California passed legislation and I brought cases against insurance companies, against the Republic of Turkey and others for Armenian genocide issues, you know, stolen property, insurance policies, bank accounts. Cases got thrown out of court back in the first decade of the century because of the issue that 
California had recognized the genocide and that violated the executive, the president's power to recognize the genocide. And that was the basis why our cases got thrown out. So, you know, very frustrating issue. And I'm not saying that, you know, cases against Turkey or lawsuits or anything like that is the answer. But it seems like Turkey got more upset over recent domestic issues, uh, foreign policy issues, and was recalling ambassadors than they did over Biden's recognition of the genocide. That's, that's true. You're absolutely correct. Well, yeah. since we're talking, since we're talking Turkey, and Brian hates it when I do a play on words, and we're at this taping near because you're not funny, John. Because I am funny at times, Brian. Once in a while, I get a zinger. But at the time of this taping, we're close to Thanksgiving. What's your Thanksgiving like, Scott? Is it Armenian food? And does no? So, so, I, so yeah, that, that John, that's hilarious. So, so my very first Thanksgiving when we were so we were we were friends for about fifteen months. So when we started dating, we were we were at that point serious. And I remember going to her house for the very first, you know, for Thanksgiving. And I was outraged that there was no mashed potatoes and only rice pilaf. I'm like, oh, where's the mashed potatoes? Now I'm happy to report we do not have mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. We have pilaf. Do you have hummus? <laughs> oh, yeah. We, oh, yeah. We have all, all, That's we have all the That's yeah, required yeah, by yeah, law. That's required by law. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combination. But, yeah, no more mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. Do you wrap the turkey in Bostroma? No. So I don't eat that stuff because, I mean, it tastes good, but man, it just wrecks your breath for like three days. And for our non-Armenian listeners, Bastama is a garlic cured beef, Armenian cured beef, right? Yeah, it, it, it's awesome, but I don't eat it. Yeah, it's, it's, it has reeks, reeks through <laughs> your pores. Everybody has to eat that. Well, I, I wonder, Brian, if this brings us to, we certainly enjoy in this conversation, we keep us going, or it could bring us to our little uh, lightning round fun discussion, finding out more about the great senator. Uh, and let's- yeah, this is this is a great discussion. I'd, I'd, I'd love it well, to hold, so, I, so, so I want to tell you, because I don't, so I, I think John knows, but Brian, you, you, you probably don't know. So I call myself an ABC, Armenian by choice. Yeah. And, you know, we have an Armenian legislative caucus, and it took 165 years for that to happen. And the story of that is, my freshman year, we were, we were invited by the Armenian government, and we were on a delegation tour. Uh, John Perez was was on the tour, he was speaker at the time, and we we're doing this tour. And I was really moved by the really moved by the experience. And we're outside of we're outside of cathedral, and I'm talking to to the speaker. And I'm going, I would like to start an Armenian legislative caucus. And he said, Well, Wilk, you can't do that. And I go, Why not? He goes, Well, because the rules are you have to have three. And so he goes, There's Nazarian. There's a Chajian, but you ain't Wilkian. And so there's a deadhide there, of course, an Armenian priest. I said, what do I need to do to become Armenian? And he said, be christened in that Armenian apostolic church. So when we came back to America, I went down to Rancho Mirage to my mother's, my mother-in-law's church, was christened, came back from break, handed the certificate to uh, John Perez. He goes, good to go. So that's how we started the Armenian Legislative Caucus. You know, it's a sad, it's a sad state of affairs, though, that right now the only Armenian by birth, no disrespect to you. The only Armenian by birth is Adrian, who's going to be termed out in, I think, two and a half more years, right? Yeah. And that frustrates me that more Armenians aren't mobilized to go into public service, that more Armenians. And then on a personal level, as a lawyer, I'm very frustrated that we have less than 10 Superior Court judges in Los Angeles. I think it's five or six right now that are Armenian out of 580 Superior Court judges. And, you know, I've, I've tried to encourage more young Armenians to go into public service, to go this direction. And I wish more would because what is it? I think it's like 750,000 people relate to themselves as Armenian in California. 
and to only have one elected official is is fairly frustrating. I wish more would do something yeah. about it. So, Brian, one of the things we're doing with the Armenian Legislative Caucus, we've done a lot in terms of, you know, not only the Armenian genocide, but education on pogroms in general, because we don't want to have what happened to the Armenians, you know, and the Greeks and the Assyrians, you know, happen anywhere else. But we've recognized that as well. So one of the things we're going to be launching this year is actually a paid internship with housing for for young people to come and intern in the capital in Sacramento, try to to foster more engagement. So let's go to some questions for you, just fun questions. The whole idea here is we just ask some rapid fire questions and get 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 to know you a little bit better. So, John, you want to go first? I would. I would. And that's a perfect segue. Let me just ask you straight up. What is your favorite Armenian dish or food item? Lula kebab. I could I could eat I could eat that every day. And you're worried about eating Basarma? <laughs> no, that's not. No, no, no. Come on. They they don't even begin to compare. Oh, come on. All right. Favorite song when you were in high school? Favorite song in high school? Dude, I don't know. It was a long time ago. Sweet emo- Sweet Emotion Aerosmith. How about that? First show you would watch on Saturday mornings when you would get up as a kid and turn on the TV? What would you watch? So you know what? And, and it's, it's on some like random cables network now and it's really stupid, but I loved watching the monkeys. <laughs> I love I love the monkeys. And then I like, why is like, those guys were on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> True. Classic, classic, right? All right. So if you were a cartoon character, who would you be? Uh, Fred Flintstone. Good, fast answer. <laughs> if you could be a movie character who would it be what like a character in a, in a full movie? Late feature film conan the the barbarian would be awesome <laughs> just crush it too many hours in arnold's private office i think yeah not me <laughs> <laughs> if you could have one superpower what would it be dude i have no idea what what would yours be brian you ask a question. well i go back and forth between flying or invisibility. Oh, it's, you're very transparent. <laughs> you're so very. No, I, 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 no, I funny? Think Am I funny? I, I, I picked flying over that because invisibility, you could use that for evil. And? You, yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot you're a child attorney. Yeah. I should, what, what am I thinking? <laughs> John, you want to ask your last question? Um, who did you have a crush on? Movie star, singer, when you were a young oh, kid. Oh, I saw. There... So, so I still, I still do, and I'm not allowed to watch her movies. Vanessa will like, you know, you can't, we can't watch her. <laughs> Nicole Kidman. Oh, okay. Love, love Nicole Kidman. Does Nicole Kidman have a restraining order with your? No, name? no, 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 no. But, but you, know, you know, so somebody, so somebody else, I have a, 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 a kind of crush on, and I don't know if you guys know who she is, uh, Maggie Q. So uh, she's done, she's done uh, like Nikita. And she was on that, um, the show with um, the guy that did 24. Oh, what's that show called? Anyway, oh, so I've gotten, to know her, I've gotten to know her a little bit because she's interested in animal rights issues. So I've, uh, you know, I've dealt with her a little bit. And yeah, I got a little bit of a crush on her. I'll send you guys a photo. Scott, <laughs> thank you so much. You've been a good sport today. Really appreciate the conversation we've had with you. And you know what? And I, I appreciate both you guys. And, you know, Brian, even though, you know, you're on the other side, I know you want what's best for, for California. And, you know, you've been, you know, supportive of me and, and enjoy you. And of course, John, I see you all the time. You're, you know, and, and you're awesome. So I really am honored to, to, to be on your show and looking forward to seeing you guys in person soon. We're going to break some bread and some Boster mob very soon together. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe Maybe not. Not. 
All right. right. Thank All you, right. Senator. Thanks, Will. gentlemen. Thanks a lot, Scott. Goodbye. Take care. Thanks for listening to Cabot Talks. If you liked what you heard, give us a positive review, a thumbs up, a high five, whatever. Leave a comment, share, and subscribe. We're two brothers, two opinions, one California. Capital.